start today, we're going to just read the psalm that we're going to be in today, which is Psalm 103. And so if you have your Bibles and you want to read along, you can do that. If you want to close your eyes and simply just listen to the inspired Word of God, then I'd encourage you to do that as well, as long as you promise to open your eyes afterwards. <laughs> Let's see what God wants to teach us today. Psalm 103. <clears throat> Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Let's pray as we begin. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for allowing us to gather here this morning, and I just pray that we would hear from you. God, that we would come in contact with you and that you would touch our minds, touch our hearts, and just encourage us in the way that you want to each one of us individually. And so speak now. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So I wonder, if you were to write a song about God, what kind of attributes would you put in there? This is who he is. What kind of things would you write? Maybe some of you are immediately, uh, yeah, I was out when you said song. Like, I don't write any of those kind of things. Okay, so maybe if you were just to do a journal entry or you were writing a chapter of a book or an entire book, what would you write about God? And maybe you're still like, yeah, I don't write. Okay, so maybe it's like a movie. What kind of things would you say? This is who God is. You're like, Andy, you're still not getting it. I do not write, okay? So let's just put that to the side. Let's say you're not writing whatsoever, but you have one of your kids come up and just ask you, who is God, or maybe it's not one of your kids, but another child comes up, and who is God? And you're like, well, what would you tell them? And, and things that you tell them, would you tell them based off of knowledge as far as experience, or just these are facts that I know? This is who God is. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Psalms and looking at a lot of these individual ones as people were writing to God, and as they do that, they, they explain, this is who you are. They're, they're praising him. 
And so we've seen how, like, God, you are Savior. The Holy Spirit inspired that to show, God, this is who you are. You are the one that comes and saves. We saw how David, who was a shepherd, says, God, you are like a shepherd. We are your sheep. We've seen how, God, you are the maker. You are the creator of life, of everything. We saw, God, you are the one that we can trust. No matter what everything else is going on, what other people are doing to us, we can trust in you. God, you are the Almighty. That is who you are. Or you are the one who brings about redemption in our life. You are our refuge, the place that we can run to. And today, in this psalm that we're looking at, it really gets to the heart of God. Like, who is he? Let's find out. This is who he is. And, and it's interesting, as I was studying this psalm, like a lot of people were saying, it's kind of divided into some different sections, kind of verses one through five. The author is writing a lot about himself, okay? So David's saying, God, this is personal to me. Here is what I do as I praise you and the things that you have done for me. Verses six through 19, just talk about God's people. So it's bigger than just me. This is to the nation of Israel. And then verses 20 through 22 really for, refer to all creation as we lift up your name. And so this question of who is God, there were three words that jumped out to me as I just kept reading this over and over again about who God is. And the first is that God is loving. God is loving. That word love is found four different times within this psalm. It's found in verse four where it says that he crowns us with love. In verse eight, it talks about he is abounding in love. In verse 11, it talks about how high the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for us. And then in verse 17, it talks about the Lord's love is with those who fear him. You see, God is loving. And I wonder, as we just talk about that, have you ever heard the words, I love you from someone, but those words didn't last? And I'll be honest, I was thinking about what kind of illustration should I put in here, maybe a cute story or something that helps us to connect. And then I just realized I don't need to. Because every single one of us has experienced that to some level in our life. And you know what it feels like. Whether that was maybe a boyfriend or girlfriend that at one time said they love you, and yeah, that's not there anymore. You don't even know where they're at. Or maybe there was a friend or a friend group that you hung out with, and now not so much. Or maybe there was a former spouse. Maybe it was a parent that is not part of your life anymore. And even as I just say those things, like immediately the feelings stir up again of love, but not love. And as I say that, I want you to understand that that is not the kind of love that God has for us. In fact, in Hebrew, that word love is actually translated steadfast love. If you read the ESV, that's what your Bible chapter says, steadfast love, his steadfast love over and over again, because God is faithful to his covenants. He is faithful to his promises. He is true to his words. He is not one who changes his mind about whether he's going to love you or not. His love is steadfast and constant and continuous. Like Even when you make the worst mistake of your life, whatever that might be, God still loves you. And I love in verse 17 where it talks about this idea from everlasting to everlasting is God's love because right before that, it contrasts it to man's days, which have been numbered. And so you hear, you have man's life, how long we're here, but this is the extent of God's love. Oh, the steadfast love of God. In fact, as you read through the Psalms, there's a lot of times that you come across this phrase that says his love endures forever. 
In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, Jeremiah is writing and he says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so maybe you've heard this idea, his compassions, his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. But if you looked at it, the root of all of that was because he is loving. You know, earlier than that, Solomon has just built the temple that the people of Israel are going to be able to come and worship God and make sacrifices at. And at the dedication of this temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 23, it says this, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. And eventually the temple is, is torn down by those who come in and attack, but it's eventually rebuilt again. And these exact same types of words are mentioned again, saying that, God, you are a God who keeps your covenants of love. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we read about this king named Jehoshaphat, who hears that Judah, who he's ruling, is about to be attacked by three different countries. And so he tells his people, we need to, we need to fast before God. And it actually says they turned their eyes to God. What are we supposed to do with what is about to happen? And God tells them, I will fight for you. He says, I am going to deliver you. And so the people, they fall down and they worship him. And the next day, they go out to battle. And verse 21 of chapter 20 says this, After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army and saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they continue to sing, God sends ambushes all around. He fights for them and they win the battle. You know what, later on in August, we're actually going to look more into this idea of enduring love of God and, and how it's repeated over and over and over in one specific psalm. But for right now, I want you to realize or be reminded that God does not change, that he doesn't stop loving you. God is love. So that's one trait. Another thing that comes out from Psalm 103 is this idea of compassionate. God is deeply compassionate for us. He gives us his compassion. That word also is found four times throughout this chapter. In verse 4, again, it talks about how we'll be crowned with compassion. In verse 8, it talks about this fact that the Lord is compassionate. In verse 13, it says, as a father has compassion, so does God have compassion upon those who fear him. See, another word that describes who God is, who his heart is, is compassionate. Now, that Greek word for compassion, it actually comes from this word splagnizomai, okay? And you're like, well, that sounds fun, okay? And you're like, how do I even say that? Yeah, I got to do it three services. So here we go, splagnizomai. And it literally comes from this root of inner parts or bowels or intestines, all right, and you're like, so where do they get compassion from that, okay? Well, here's what happens. The Greeks felt like the inner parts of your body is where the site of all the emotions were. And so sometimes today we'll translate it heart, okay? Because I'm imagining that no one in here has ever gone up to somebody and just said, I love you with all of my bowels, okay? Like, I'm betting that you have never done that. Some of you may be thinking about a really neat Valentine's card next year. You're welcome, okay? All that kind of stuff. 
But we do. We translate it sometimes more heart because that's how we consider this idea of emotions. But understand that this idea of compassion is a a deep love. This word shows intimacy, this intense and protective care of a mother for her child. Compassion. And so when I think about this deep care, compassion, I remember a movie that I saw when I was growing up that was later made into a musical version in 2012. Now, originally, a long time ago, it was a book and started out as a musical in plays and such like that. And the name is Les Miserables. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you haven't. But what happens is after 19 years as a prisoner, this man named Jean Valjean, he is freed. He's no longer a prisoner But he promptly breaks his parole by stealing some silver from a priest. That a priest has said, hey, come, stay with us for the night. He sees the need. But in the middle of the night, he takes the silver and runs away. But he's caught by the authorities. And they bring him back to the priest and say, look who we've caught. We see that he has stolen your things. And the priest has compassion upon him. And he looks and he says, hey, thank you for what you've done. But actually, he hasn't stolen any of this. But I am so glad that you brought him back because, and then he grabs the silver candlesticks that are on the table and says, you forgot to take these. And after, you know, the policemen leave, the priest looks at him and says, I challenge you to live differently. And this act of mercy and compassion changes his life. Like he wrestles with God over this amazing display of mercy and pity and compassion, but then he goes on to reinvent himself. He becomes the mayor. He becomes a factory owner who is caring for anyone and everyone. Like compassion that someone else shows us in our life makes a huge difference. So it can be like difficult to state just how amazing compassion is that we receive from God and how life-changing that can be. God's love for you, it's not some fleeting feeling. It's not even, "Ah, I guess I'm going to tolerate them today. God hurts when you hurt, and he runs after you when you're lost, and he wants more than anything to be able to spend time with you, which includes eternity. God loves you with, one, a steadfast love that does not stop, but also a love that is deeper and more intense than you can ever imagine. There's one more word that jumps out to me from this chapter about who is God, and that word is forgiving. God is forgiving. The idea that he chooses not to count our sins against us. Now, what's kind of funny is that this word is actually only used one time. In verse 3, it simply says, who forgives all your sins. And even as you look at that, the word forgives is in the present tense. God is continually forgiving us of our sins. But it also said the word all, all of your sins, not just some, not just the little ones that you're like, okay, those are kind of easy to forgive, but all of them, even the ones that no one else knows about, but he does, he forgives. And even those ones that are so big that when people kind of find out, they start treating you a little bit differently. Yep, those are forgiven too. Every sin that you've ever done, ever will do, when you just stop and sit in that, God is forgiven. That is who he is. And I told you that that word is only found one time in this chapter. Oh, but you hear the idea of it over and over and over again. In fact, 
In verse 3, it talks about how he heals his diseases, and sometimes that is the physical diseases. But in this sense, it's the metaphorical. He heals my broken spirit. In verses 4 and 5, it talks about how he redeems or he renews, which we again talked about a couple weeks ago. This is who God is as forgiver. In verse 9, he's not going to accuse. He's not going to harbor anger against us. Do you hear the forgiveness? In verse 10, he's not going to treat us as our sins deserve. He's not going to repay us according to our iniquities. Again, forgiveness. Or even in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions. Like That's a long way. Forgiveness. God is a forgiving God. And so even as you read through the Old Testament, we see of times where he forgives his people, the nation of Israel. Like after this instance where they're worshiping this golden calf, there's some consequences, but then God forgives his people. Or in the desert, after the spies go in to check out the promised land, can we, can we conquer this? Can we not? And enough people are afraid of the people that are in there, like, no, we can't do this. Again, God forgives his people. Or even every single year, there was this day called the Day of Atonement that was to offer up these sacrifices to God, not just for individuals, but us as a nation. God, will you forgive us? And so there were sacrifices made. And then there was also this goat that then uh, metaphorically, these sins were placed upon the goat and then sent out into the desert so that he would be the scapegoat and the sin would not be among the people anymore. Because God is a God who forgives. And even though it's for the nation, it's also very personal too. That God forgives each one of us when we come to him. In fact, the most, probably the most famous story that Jesus ever told was all about this prodigal son that we call him. The son said, I don't want to be here anymore, dad. I don't want to do things your way, runs away. Man, he has all sorts of friends that are saying, I love you until the money's gone and they're no longer to be seen. And then trying to figure out what's he going to do and goes, well, maybe I could be a servant in my dad's household and plays this whole speech in his mind. But even as he goes back and he tries to tell him, I'm sorry, his father just says, there's no time for that. And he throws the party. He is so excited for his son to come back. And I think it's important for us to remember that God does not want to condemn us. He wants to celebrate us. Like sometimes we get caught up in whatever sin that it is in our life. We're like, oh, I messed up again. And how much God just must be waiting, you know, to pull out some kind of punishment upon us. Like that's not him at all. He wants to celebrate the fact that you are with him. Man, forgiveness from God. Unlike any other religion that people are trying to follow, like we don't earn our forgiveness. It's not, hey, be good enough and then God's gonna forgive you. No, it's just here it is. Will you choose to accept this gift that I want you to have? That is the God that we serve. He is loving, he is compassionate, and he is forgiving. In fact, those words are all said out of his own mouth in the book of Exodus chapter 34, verses six and seven, when he passes in front of Moses. And it says this, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. You see, those words, they show who God is. But even as I read that, did you hear those last few words? Like, God is serious about sin. It doesn't negate everything that we've talked about so far. You see, while God is loving to this point that we can't even comprehend, 
we also need to understand that God is a just God. And in the end, he will bring justice. In fact, in verse 7, it talks about he will uh, bring justice for the oppressed. This justice. That is why we thank God for his salvation, for the forgiveness that we receive through Jesus, through his sacrifice that made him the ultimate scapegoat. The sin is no longer upon us. We don't get what we deserve. And that should cause us to praise him. That word praise, that's the other word that jumped out. Maybe your Bible said bless, same kind of thing. Praise, bless. It's found seven times in this chapter at the beginning and at the end. He simply says, praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Then at the end, verse 20, praise the Lord, all you angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you whose servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. You see, when we understand what God has done, when he has compassion on us, and he loves us and forgives us, that causes us to give him praise. We get to live in that love. We get to live in that compassion. We get to live in that forgiveness. And in that, we experience a peace that you cannot find anywhere. And I mean anywhere else. And that, in and of itself, would be a good enough application to the sermon. The idea that I need to grasp that, that that is who God is, and I get to accept it, and I get to live in it, and that changes my life. But If we stopped there, we would miss a huge opportunity and a huge responsibility. Because as followers of God, you and I are called to live out these traits. You know, often in scripture, you see the idea that we're supposed to love God and then love other people as well. And so this idea of love and compassion and forgiveness, we are to show that to everybody else. And there could be multiple sermons on that in and of itself. But today, I just want to give you three kind of quick helpful pointers as we're talking about how do we do this? Like practically, how do I live this way? The first thing I would tell you is this. Don't judge who deserves it and who doesn't. Like sometimes that can kind of be our mindset that that person over there, well, they deserve compassion. Just look at what they've done. But oh, over here, him, no. Her, yeah, and them, we're not quite sure yet. So I'm going to kind of hold back and then we'll see. Like that's not how it works. That's not what God has called us to do. In fact, all people matter to God. You don't know their circumstances. You don't know their hearts. You don't know what kind of receptiveness they're going to have when they're shown the love of God. And so we're called to give it to everyone. In fact, I was reading this week just about a nurse who helped a lady at the nursing home when no one else wanted to help her because she was pretty mean. You know, she was going through some things and just not many people would want to go and hang out with her. But this one nurse said, I'm going to show her love. I'm going to show her compassion. And it ended up being this one night when everyone kind of thought, man, she's really at her worst. She went in to help her out. And the next day she had passed away. But just this idea of being able to show compassion, not just based on what they're going to do back to me, but this is what God has called me to do. Because you and I, we don't have the right to decide who gets compassion and love and forgiveness. We're called to give it to everyone. You know what? That may look differently for you depending on how someone maybe has hurt you or what they've done to you. But even in that, even though it may look differently in how you display that, when you live in this way of being able to show love, compassion, and forgiveness, it will cause you not to be a prisoner to that person anymore. Any kind of hold that they have on you, you've now released it. And so the first thing I would tell you, how do we practically live this out, is don't judge. The second thing I would tell you is don't get too busy. 
Don't get too busy. Sometimes we don't love because we don't see other people around us. And again, I was reading this week about two people, and they wanted to play out this parable of the Good Samaritan um, with seminary students. And they wanted a couple variables inside. And so if you don't know the story of the Good Samaritan, someone gets attacked and left on the side of the road, and these two religious guys walk by, and they have nothing to do with him. But then the third guy, a quote, enemy, uh, comes by and says, shows compassion. How can I help this person out? And so that's what they want to do. And so students were told that they were going to prepare a short sermon, and half of them were given the Good Samaritan. Samaritan to preach on, and the other half were given some other topic. And finally, they were going to be told, you're going to go over to this building on this campus to present your sermon. However, along the way, from the first building to the second, the researchers had strategically positioned an actor in an alley to play the part of the man who was mugged in Jesus' story. And so he was slumped over, he was groaning uh, loud enough that every passerby would be able to hear him. And the researchers, they hypothesized that, you know what, those who went into ministry saying, I want to help people out, and those who had just prepared this lesson on the Good Samaritan would be the ones most likely to stop and help. But that wasn't the case at all. And the reason is because of the, vi- the final variable that was introduced into uh, this sequence. You see, just before the students left to give their sermon, the researcher looked at his watch and he said one of two things to each person. To some students, he said, you're late. They were expecting you a few minutes ago. You better hurry. And to others, the researcher said, well, you're early. They're not expecting you for a few minutes, but why don't you start heading over there right now? And so the results ended up being this way, that only 10% of the seminary students who were in a hurry stopped to help while 63% of those who weren't in a hurry stopped to help. And so in several cases, you had this seminary student going to give his talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan. They literally stepped over the victim as they hurried on their way. And the leaders determined that more than wanting or not wanting to help someone, what influenced the students was if they were in a hurry or not. And I just wonder how often are we so busy that we miss the needs around us. Let's make sure that our eyes are open to the people in front of us that we can show love to. Let's slow down and take a look. Here's the third thing that I would tell you about how to live this out. Don't become hard-hearted. Don't become hard-hearted. You know, sometimes the reason that we don't show compassion to someone is maybe because we've become numb to their hurt. Or maybe we figure we can't help everyone, and so I'm just not going to help anyone. Or sometimes we've become so hurt that we don't want to put ourselves out there again, and our heart literally becomes hard, and we don't care. And I read a story about a man who found his newly appointed pastor standing in his study at the window in the church, weeping as he looked out over the inner city's tragic conditions. And so this man, he sought to console his new pastor, and he said these words, Don't worry. After you've been here for a little while, you'll get used to it. And the minister responded by saying, yes, I know. That's why I'm crying. Like, may our eyes be opened. May our hearts never stop showing compassion to the people around us. And not just as individuals, but like, may we as a church be able to be described as this kind of unit, people who care who show love and compassion and forgiveness because that's what God has given to us.
And you know what? Just as in the parable of the unmerciful servant that Jesus says, you and I are to pass on what we have received. A while ago, I mentioned the play Les Miserables. And some of the fans, if you're like a diehard fan, you may know this fact, but most of us don't. Uh, the actor, his name was Colm Wilkinson. He was the big voiced stage actor who originated the role of Jean Valjean, the one who was shown mercy after stealing the silver. And he sang first in London and then he was on Broadway. Well, when the movie in 2012 came out, the producers gave him a role in that movie. But obviously he was much older and he couldn't play the same part. So this time he played the part of the priest. He played the part of the priest who takes pity on Valjean. And that scene has a greater impact when you understand that, when you see the priest hand the candlesticks to Valjean. Because in the former play, he plays the character who receives the mercy that changes his life. But now in the movie, his character gives the forgiveness that changes another's life. You and I, we are called to share. We are called to pass on the love, the compassion, and the forgiveness that God has given to us. You know what? Once we were without hope. It's important to remember that where we once were. We once were without hope, but now we have hope. We once were without life but now we have life. We once were prisoners, but now we are free. We once were called sinners, and yet now we are called saints. And God shows his loving kindness to us. And may we praise him for that. But it's all because of Jesus. And today, maybe you still are in that former area. Like you still feel without hope in life and you don't have Jesus, but you're like, I want him. And during this next song, we'd encourage you to go to the decision point. Let us pray with you. Let us tell you about him. Let us let you experience this new life. And if you simply want prayer for things that are going on, you're like, man, I'm carrying some burdens that I don't want to carry. We encourage you to go there too. Let us not remember what we have received from God. Let us praise him and let us live that out as we live each day to give to other people. Let us stand as we sing.